Pod Save America is sponsored by the Financial Times. Knowledge is confidence, and reading the Financial Times means you can do more than just catch up. You can stay one step ahead across topics such as politics, tech, business, and climate change with articles like The Unexpected Revival of America's Trade Unions or How China's Slowdown is Deepening Hong Kong's Existential Crisis. Visit ft.com slash podsave to read free articles and subscribe. That's ft.com slash podsave. Welcome to Pod Save America. I'm John Favreau. I'm John Lovett. I'm Tommy Vizor. I'm Dan Pfeiffer. And here's our interview with President Barack Obama. Well, welcome back to Pod Save America. Thanks for doing this. It is great to be with you guys. Good to see you. All right, we're going to start with the midterms. We're gonna, of we're course. Getting, we're getting serious here. Yes. So these midterms, are ha- like 2010, are happening in what we would say a suboptimal economic environment. <laughs> <laughs> but sort of unlike 2010, Democrats have a handful of pretty powerful arguments that seem to be moving voters about who Republicans are. Right. On one hand, you got a bunch of big lie believing insurrectionists. You can so that's one argument. Right. Another argument is about extremism on abortion, gay marriage, contraception, et cetera. Right. And then also Republicans who want to get to, back to Congress to cut taxes for the wealthy, pay for it by cutting Social Security and Medicare. You're about to get out on the campaign trail. Do you think there's a way to sort of weave those things into one narrative about the stakes in this election? Well, look. I think the first and most important issue is, are we going to uh, preserve and hopefully strengthen our democracy? And that, that, that's sort of a baseline uh, question. And uh, I believe that given how at least Republican officials have behaved, they increasingly um, are willing to subvert Basic democratic procedures, right? Like, let's count votes. Uh, let's make sure that people are allowed to vote. Let's make sure that uh, whoever gets the most votes has the most seats, and that uh, if they get the most uh, votes in Congress, that you can pass laws, right? Basic stuff like that they don't increasingly seem to believe in. And, and so that's the sense of urgency that I have. Now, I think for the average voter out there, we can talk about specific issues that are important to them. And this has been a long-term battle that we've been having between Democrats and Republicans. And that is, do we create the kind of economy that gives everybody a fair shot and that uh, grows the economy in a way that is good for not just a few, but the many. And the great thing that I think we have going for us is, is that even with really slim majorities, what we've shown is, is that uh, we can deliver. Uh, you know, the Biden administration has accomplished a lot. Uh, you've got a historic infrastructure bill that's going to help rebuild America and create jobs all across the country. You've got uh, an Inflation Control Act that has lowered prescription drug prices, has made sure that uh, healthcare is even more affordable through the ACA, that is looking at lowering energy costs. You've got a gun bill that is the first major piece of gun safety legislation 
that we've seen in 30 years. Um, you know, across the board, what we've seen is, is that when Democrats have a working majority or even a really slim majority in Congress, um, they can make people's lives better. And, and so I, you know, if you combine the, the deep concerns about our democracy with the concrete accomplishments that uh, this administration had been able to deliver because we had uh, a narrow majority in, in both the House and the Senate, uh, that should be enough to inspire people to get out. Now, there's one last piece of business that I think has been on a lot of people's minds, and that's Dobbs, right? The overturning of Roe versus Wade. Because what that also indicates is that a lot of rights that we've taken for granted, one, one through enormous struggle uh, and uh, mobilization uh, over the last 40, 50 years, those aren't rights that we can take for granted. You know, if, if, Roe versus Wade can be overturned, then it's it's likely that a significant part of this Supreme Court is less concerned about issues of privacy and and personal freedom generally, which means that LGBTQ rights can be at risk. It means that uh, you know basic uh, precepts about you know, the state staying out of how we think about family and relationships, that those are all called to question. Uh, and that's yeah, been interesting talking to, I think, a lot of young people who, even though they thought, were even though they were frustrated with the lack of progress in some areas, they had never gone through the experience of seeing us go backwards on a big issue. And it's a reminder that democracy is fragile that you have to tend to it, you have to fight for it. And this midterm election, I think, is going to be a moment in which, um, you know, that battle has to be joined and that, that means people have to turn out. So Donald Trump has made himself a, a central character in these midterms. He has. He has. Um, he's made it pretty clear he wants to run again. Even if he doesn't, he's clearly remade the Republican Party in his image. What lessons have you learned in the last couple of years about how we can defeat not only Trump, but Trumpism long-term? Well, I, the, the, the thing that I think sometimes we uh, seem to make mistake on is um, his behavior can be so outrageous, and now um, folks who try to copy him uh, and his outrageous behaviors get a lot of attention. And so we join that game. And we spend enormous amounts of time and energy and resources pointing out the latest crazy thing he said, or uh, you know, the how rude or mean you know some of these Republican candidates behaved. That's probably not something that that um, in the minds of most voters overrides their basic interests. Can I pay the rent? What are gas prices? How am I dealing with? child care, et cetera, right? And I think we saw in 2016, understandably, because we hadn't seen some of that behavior before, we thought, well, you know. If we point that if, out, that'll if, be If it. we point that out, that's going to be enough, right? And, and I think that what we all should have learned over the last several years is that um, 
it is an advantage for our candidates to be decent and uh, thoughtful and well-informed and all those things. And I think uh, we've done a great job recruiting uh, tremendous candidates for Senate, governor's races, uh, on down the ballot. So that helps, right? And, th and that should give us an advantage. But we shouldn't assume that in any given election, it's a character test alone. We are going to have to engage in the issues and make very concrete arguments to people that, look, if you have a Democratic majority, then you're more likely to... Uh, make sure that uh, you know, you're getting paid the living wage and that you have basic protections on the job and that uh, if you're still going to school, uh, that it's going to be affordable. And you know, if uh, you get a job that doesn't give you health care on the job, that you're going to be able to afford uh, to get uh, health care through uh, the Affordable Care Act and the subsidies are going to be ones that you know, uh, allow you to keep some money in your pocket. You know, those are the kinds of arguments I think that ultimately we still have to make, even when uh, just by how we act and how we behave, uh, we're also modeling you know, a, a better way of, uh, of doing politics. So one challenge that the Democratic Party has had since you left office is we keep doing worse with voters who don't have a college degree. Right. And at first it was white voters. Right. And the theory behind that was uh, perhaps racial resentment was driving that. Now we're seeing Latino voters without college degrees leaving the party or voting Republican and even some black voters as well. Um, New York Times just ran a story about the 250 page unpublished uh, manuscript that you wrote in law school. <laughs> yes, this was very <laughs> random. Yeah. That's amazing. I didn't know that. One thing you guys know about me, I've been pretty consistent. You know, I. Uh, that's what that's what I took away from reading it yeah. and reading the story about it is you basically argue that Democrats need to make appeals that are based more on class than race if you want to build a durable right. majority. How do you think about that in light of the party's current predicament today? Look, I mean, I, I, um, I have watched with great pride this country become uh, more aware of uh, the force of racism and sexism and homophobia uh, in everyday life. And I think that movements like Me Too and Black Lives Matter uh, have uh, changed the culture in all kinds of positive and powerful ways. You know, speaking as somebody who's got uh, two black daughters, right? I want them to feel as if as they move through the world that they're not having to put up with a bunch of nonsense that if I had a white son, which biologically might be difficult, um, <laughs> the, uh, you know, that, uh, that they'd be treated fairly, right? Um, but I also think that when we're talking about putting together, as you said, durable majorities, we have to be able to speak to everybody about their common interests. And 
what works for, I think, everybody is the idea of a basic equal treatment and fairness. That's an argument that's compatible with uh, progress on social issues and is compatible with economic issues. I think where we get into trouble sometimes is when we try to suggest that uh, some groups are more, uh, because they historically have been victimized more, um, that somehow they have a status that's different than other people and that we're going around scolding folks if they don't use exactly the right phrase or you know that that, that identity politics becomes the principal uh, uh, lens through which we view you know uh, our our various uh, political uh, challenges and to me uh, i think that that for a lot of average folks ends up feeling as if you're not speaking to me and my concerns, or for that matter, my kids' concerns and their future. Uh, it feels as if I'm being excluded from that conversation rather than brought into the conversation. Uh, and so that's something that, that you know, we all have to be uh, mindful of and cautious about. But um, I, I wanna emphasize here, you know, throughout my presidency, there was never a time in which we shied away from making strong arguments on behalf of groups that had been historically uh, subjugated in this country, and we didn't ignore history. But we, but there was always an invitation to people to say, you know what? I think all of us, regardless of what your status is, want fairness and want equality and want your sons or daughters to be treated fairly uh, and, 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 and with respect and dignity. And, and, and the more we're leaning into those arguments and the less we're leaning into an argument that says um, we're uh, you know, deserving of uh, consideration and you guys are the problem, whatever, however you wanted to frame you guys, yeah, I think most people don't want to be lectured to in that way. And I think that that, that, uh, that can cause us some difficulties. So one thing that's also happened is you've seen Republicans try to take advantage of this, kind of damage the Democratic brand in some way. And in the last few elections, we've seen that Democratic policies like Medicaid expansion, raising the minimum wage, those things have like a 15-point advantage over Democratic politicians who would want to pass them. Uh, what do you see as the, I mean, you just talked a little bit about it, but like, how do we close that gap, right? How do we, how do we get people to listen? They seem to be more able to listen and get past polarization and misinformation when it's on the policies, not the politician. Well, I, it, I think it is connected to what we just talked about. And, and, and listen, I, I think it's important for us to acknowledge that um, what Republicans and conservative media have done very cleverly is to find whatever the most outrageous examples of overwrought cancel culture is and they'll flash it on the screen as if this is the democratic party platform and um and, and because they understand this dynamic that, that we just talked about right the, the message they sell day in day out is these effete coastal liberals are looking down on you 
and think you're stupid. And, and so as a consequence, whatever they say, they don't mean it because they, all they care about is, is keeping you down and lifting themselves up. And so in light of the fact that that is constantly in the, the, the air, uh, that Republicans breathe and, and voters oftentimes are exposed to. Um, yeah, we got to bend over backwards sometimes to to counteract that in order to get people to hear about policy. I mean, I think there's a there's a reason why um, a guy like Fetterman in in Pennsylvania uh, has done well among voters that some other Democrats might not have done well with, because he comes off as a regular guy, right? And every once in a while, he says something that it's a little, uh, you know, off script. If if he was given a speech at, you know, <laughs> on a college campus, people might be, you know, aghast. And that's a good thing. That's a healthy thing, right? And and, and you know, I, I'm not suggesting that, um, you know, every candidate has to be themselves. And 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 you know, nothing's worse as we've all seen in the past of, you know, fight, folks trying to, you know be down with the people and <laughs> you know i think it rules a, i love a, it i love it when they and try it's, <laughs> and it's, it's a little awkward and stiff um but all of you guys were also you know with us when when we were on campaigns in and and you know i was in in places that a lot of folks thought i could not get votes because of my biography but i think what people sensed was oh this guy relates to us, right? He gets us, and 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 that uh, quality is something that I think Democrats uh, have to have to embrace and and claim, uh, and 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 I think we do get into trouble. Look, I used to get into trouble whenever, as as you know. You guys know well. Whenever I got a little too professorial and you know started when I was behind a podium as opposed to when I was in a crowd, there were times where I'd get you know uh, you know sound like I was given a bunch of policy gobbledygook, and that's not how people think about these issues. They they think about them in terms of you know the life I'm leading day to day. How 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 does politics even how is it even relevant? to, uh, you know, the things that I, I care most deeply about, my family, my kids, you know, work that gives me satisfaction, uh, you know, having fun, you know, not, you know, not, not being a buzzkill, right? Uh, you <laughs> That's know, a so, lesson for the Democratic Party. Yeah, yeah and, and sometimes Democrats are, right? It's, it's like, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, people just want to, not feel as if uh, they are walking on eggshells, uh, and 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 they want some acknowledgement that life is messy, and that all of us, at any given moment, uh, can you know uh, say things the wrong way, you know, make mistakes. Uh, Michelle talks uh, about her mother-in-law or her mother, my mother-in-law, who is a, a extraordinary one. As Michelle points out, she's 86, 
you know, and sometimes, it, you know, trying to get the right phraseology when we're talking about issues, Michelle's like, that's like her trying to learn Spanish. It doesn't mean she shouldn't try to learn Spanish, but it means that sometimes she's not going to get the words right. Uh, and that's okay. Right. And, and, and that attitude, I think, uh, of just being a little more real and a little more grounded is, is something that I think makes it goes a long way in, in counteracting what is a systematic um, this, the, the systematic propaganda that I think is being pumped out by Fox News and all these other outlets all the time. Pod Save America is brought to you by the Homegrown OKC podcast. There is way more to the Oklahoma City bombing than any of us knew. You can learn a ton about it on the podcast Homegrown OKC, hosted by Jeffrey Tubin and based on his book. It unpacks the tragic Oklahoma City bombing and how the event still ripples today and calls for political violence. Just days after the Oklahoma City bombing in 1995, America discovered the perpetrator was a right-wing extremist, Timothy McVeigh, whose mindset and values are still very present today, as seen in the January 6th attack on our capital. Each episode of the Homegrown OKC podcast follows the story of McVeigh, a decorated Army veteran who became consumed with rage, went underground, and built a bomb that killed 168 people. The Homegrown OKC podcast is about a better understanding of the political environment in our country today. I think this is such an important story that tells you so much about radicalization, the far right in this country, the things that were simmering under the surface long before January 6th and some of the origins, which dates back to the Oklahoma City bombing. Uh, it's an incredible podcast based on an amazing book. I highly recommend it. To listen to Homegrown OKC, search for Homegrown OKC in your podcast app. That's Homegrown OKC. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. The question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule Damn. is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. You know, you know, you know. Have you been able to this. squeeze that special thing into your schedule, John? Yeah, that's. I think it's thanks to therapy. Therapy can help you find what matters to you, so you can do more of it. Mm -hmm. More time for you. I. Uh, you know, because we've been doing what a weekday, mm -hmm. I actually put that in my therapy spot. You know, I, I replaced therapy with doing an extra podcast. Mm. It was a huge mistake. So uh, what do you spend time doing in therapy now? Well, now I brought therapy back. I okay, added therapy good, back good. to good. another time because uh, it turns out talking that's going to make the jokes better. <laughs> well, it's certainly going to make things better for the team. <laughs> <laughs> if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash PSA today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash PSA. Podsafe America is brought to you by Helix Sleep. How long have you had your mattress? For most people, it's probably time for an upgrade, right? Well, Helix has exactly what you need. Everybody is unique and everyone sleeps differently. That's why Helix has several different mattress models to choose from, each designed for specific sleep positions and feel preferences. Take the Helix Sleep Quiz and find your perfect mattress in under two minutes. Helix has models with memory foam layers to provide optimal pressure relief if you sleep on your side, models with a more responsive foam to cradle your body for essential support in stomach and back sleeping positions, plus enhanced cooling features to keep you from overheating at night. And if your spine needs some extra TLC, they've got you. Every Helix mattress has a hybrid design combining individually wrapped steel coils in the base with premium foam layers on top. It's the perfect combination of comfort and support. Uh, I have a Helix mattress in our guest bedroom. Mm -hmm. Every single person who stays with us says, 
That bed is so comfortable. Where'd you get it? You know what I say? Where do you say? Helix. I love my Helix mattress. I have a Don Lux. Don Lux. It's very comfortable. So Lux. Helix is offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com slash crooked and use code helixpartner20. This is their best offer yet and it won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. Again, that's helixsleep.com slash crooked and use code helixpartner20. I don't know that you know this, but we used to joke that you would always insist on saying that the Recovery Act was divided into three parts. And we used to we used to think, oh no, he's going down the Recovery Act is divided into three parts thing again. It's it's. I you... feel terrible about that now. And, <laughs> you know, I'm sure that's why we got clobbered in 2010. I just want you guys to know that we talked about that in the last interview that we did at the White House. Yeah. Oh man, well it's been a long time. <laughs> well, I think it's worth Clear, clearly Lovett's been traumatized by this whole I thing. Think about he it still sometimes. has PTSD. I think around, about it sometimes. Uh, yeah, you know what's funny? You 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 brought up Fetterman. I mean, Fetterman saw something in your campaign in 2008 because I think he was like the only elected official in Western PA that yeah, endorsed us. That's exactly right. And what, like, do you think he's doing, what do you like about him? Is it the look or is it the pot? Like, look, you know, words like authenticity get overused, but um, that the thing I love about Fetterman and you see it in a lot of our other candidates is you feel as if when you're talking to them, that you're having a normal conversation and they have some sense of how the rest of America lives. Yeah. <laughs> right? Grounded. The, the, Not you, a lot to ask. It, it, it's, <laughs> it's, it's pretty basic, right? You, you, you feel as if if that guy walked into a diner, sat down, and you started, you know, uh, just – you know, talking about whatever issues came to mind that you might not agree with everything he said, but you'd feel as if he had a point of view that was informed by his real life experiences, that he was honest about what he believed, that he'd be open to potentially changing his mind if, you know, uh, you, you, you made a good argument, um, that there are certain values that he cares about, uh, and that he cares about people. Right. Uh, and, and now, now why it is that, um, those qualities don't seem to always apply to, um, successful Republican candidates. What's going on there? I don't know exactly. Um, but I, I suspect, and I've talked to you guys about this before, I, again, it's, it's, it's the degree to which, uh, conservative media, uh, just has a lock on how people are presented and, and sort of the dominant narratives there are, are, are so powerful that, you know, people will vote for DeSantis, even if I'm not sure that they would really have a great time. He doesn't. He does not seem like a lot of fun. No. <laughs> yeah. Hanging out with that guy. <laughs> I think that's going to be a problem for him. It's going to be a problem for him. You know, a weird robot. Yeah. You can't just sound like Trump. Do you want you Trump just... without the charisma? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A couple of them have tried that. Yeah. He's a real yeah. piece of work. Um, if you guys will forgive me, I wanted just a little, a couple international questions. Yeah, man. Look, look. Okay, uh, thank you. You know. You, you count too. You matter. Thank you so much. I appreciate yeah. that. As but... seamless as the transition in the State of the Union. <laughs> as we are strong at home, so are we strong in the world. And then we're off. 
two yeah. things and back to the economy. Yeah. You got two lines. Right. So, uh, this is every day. Right. You were fighting this battle. I, 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 listen, thank God for Ben. Um, I, I saw that you, Michelle, put out a statement in support of the Iranian protesters uh, earlier this week. I was just wondering why you thought it was important to weigh in and if you think there's lessons we can learn from uh, the Green Movement in 2009 or the Arab Spring about which of these democratic movements succeed and fail and, and why. I, I think uh, there's no way to predict how this plays out. And I, uh, one thing we all learned through the Arab Spring, uh, the, the, the Green Movement in Iran and, and a lot of other places, is that uh, you, you can't underestimate the power of just sheer force and violence, uh, sadly, uh, and, and the re repressive mechanisms that uh, a government like Iran has in place. But there are a couple of conclusions we can draw from. Number one uh, is that uh, there is deep dissatisfaction with the Iranian regime. Um, number two, that women in particular are chafing under uh, a, a series of, of not just systematic um, discrimination against women and, and, and subjugation of women, but um, also an arbitrariness and, and a cruelty uh, beneath uh, that, that, that's exercised by the state against women, uh, which has made them uh, essentially say, uh, we're fed up, we're tired of this. Uh, and that's extraordinarily powerful. Um, whether it ends up bringing about fundamental change in that regime, I, I think is, is, is hard to predict. But I, you know, the, the, the one thing that, you know, when I think back to 2009, 2010, you, you guys will recall, there was a, a big debate inside the White House about whether I should publicly affirm uh, what was going on with the Green Movement because a lot of the activists were being accused of being tools of the West and there was some thought that we were somehow going to be um, uh, undermining their street cred in Iran if I uh, supported what they were doing. Uh, and in retrospect, I think that was a mistake. Uh, every, every time we see a flash, uh, a, um, a glimmer of, of hope, of, of people longing for freedom, I think we have to point it out. We have to shine a spotlight on it. We have to express some solidarity about it. That doesn't mean, by the way, that the administration is, uh, that, that a, a U.S. administration uh, shouldn't be taking in a bunch of other equities into account. They have to. A president has to, right? So uh, I continue to believe that uh, the Iran nuclear deal was a really important thing for us to do to prevent Iran from getting a nuclear weapon. Had we not had that in place, I think Iran would have had a nuclear weapon by now. Well, look how well it's gone since we pulled out. Exactly, right? So you still have to make decisions, uh, often very difficult about, are, are there places where you do business with a government that is repressive? Uh, and, and that's the job of a president and uh, an administration uh, you know, facing a, a complicated world. Um, but our moral response to uh, 
the incredible courage that is taking place in Iran and, and, and those women and girls who are on the streets knowing uh, that they're putting themselves in harm's way uh, to, to speak truth to power. Uh, yeah, we, have to, we have to affirm what they do and, and hope that uh, it, it brings about more space for um, the kind of civic conversation that, that uh, over time can uh, uh, take that country down a better path. Uh, speaking of brutal, repressive governments, I mean, it's been eight months, nine months since Putin launched this invasion of Ukraine. I, I think everyone's been impressed with the way the Ukrainians have fought, how effectively they fought. I've been impressed with how much Europe has actually yes. stepped up and, and supported them. The flip side of that success, though, is the fact that it, it appears that Russia is losing or at least losing ground. Putin is getting pushed further into the corner. So I'm just wondering if you have thoughts for people who are watching this they're inspired by the Ukrainian resistance. They want them to defend their country successfully, mm -hmm. but they're also pretty nervous about continued escalation and this chatter about you know Russia using a nuclear weapon. I think what the Ukrainian people have accomplished is extraordinary. And it's a testimony to not just the, the courage of a few soldiers, but th th this is a entire nation mobilizing in the face of extraordinary odds um, and, and making tremendous sacrifices. Uh, and, and Zelensky himself has, has, has risen to, to the moment in a way that you know, his biography would not have necessarily anticipated, right? So, so um, at the end of the day, uh, it is not our job to tell the Ukrainians when is it enough, how far should they go, you know, what concessions should they make, mm -hmm. et cetera. Um, that's up to them. Uh, as their allies, it is important for us to support them uh, financially, militarily, through our intelligence. Uh, we do have, how, however, uh, to be clear and honest with them about what we can and cannot do. And there are lines that we have to um, determine internally, the US, NATO, uh, and others, um, that take into account the risk of this tipping into a Russia-US-NATO conflict as opposed to a Russia-Ukraine conflict. Um, I'm not privy to enough of the intelligence at this stage to, and it's not my job as a private citizen to, to um, weigh in on, on where that line should be drawn. But as we're thinking about, for example, what weapons we're sending in or how we're approaching our support for Ukraine, uh, I, I think thinking about where defense stops and offense begins and how we manage that, um, is something that we have to pay attention to. And I do think, you know, probably the thing that I'm, I'm most concerned about is that lines of communication between uh, the White House and the Kremlin are probably um, as weak as they have been in a very long time. Even in the, uh, you know, in, in some of the lowest points uh, of the Cold War, there was still sense, a sense of the ability to pick up a phone and, and work through 
diplomatic channels uh, to to send clear signals. And uh, a lot of that is broken down, and I don't think it's uh, the fault of our administration. I think that we're now dealing with a um, a type of Russian regime that is actually even more centralized, even uh, more isolated and closed off. I think Putin uh, has consolidated decision-making to a degree that we haven't seen, uh, even uh, during the Soviet era. And, and I, that, I think, creates uh, some dangers and, and us finding ways in which some of that communication can, can uh, uh, be reestablished, I think, would be important. As we defend democratic values abroad, we def we defend them here at home. Oh, okay. <laughs> well done. God, we back. I mean, this, that that, 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 I, that I think was a little better. <laughs> I, I, I have to admit. As a chef and a restaurant owner, I'm as meticulous about my cookware as I am about my ingredients. That's why I love Made in Cookware. Each pan they make isn't just designed to perform, it's crafted to last. As a mom, I love that I can trust Made in. It's made from the world's finest materials, so I can feel good about what I'm feeding my family. I'm Chef Brooke Williamson, and I use Made in Cookware. Pod Save America is brought to you by Fast Growing Trees. Did you know Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in the United States with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers in the U.S. alone? You can grow lemon, avocado, olive, or fig trees inside your home on top of the wide variety of houseplants available. Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with their 30-day alive and thrive guarantee, they offer free plant consultation forever. The experts at Fast Growing Trees curate thousands of plants for all climates, locations, and needs. They're available 24-7. You can talk to a plant expert about your soil type, landscape design, and how best to take care of your plants. Landscaping, you know, it's, it's, they may, you know, you get, it's expensive. expensive. It's expensive. And honestly, like, it's, it can be harder than you think to keep these plants alive. We've yeah. killed off a couple of them in our for day. For sure. But, you know, with, with Fast Growing Trees, you got this uh, support line 24-7. You call and you say, hey, how do I keep my lemon tree going? And they say, water it more or yeah. something. Anyway, yeah, very right. excited about Fast Growing Trees. Right now, they have some of the best deals online, like up to half off on select plants. And Pod Save America listeners can get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code CROOKED at checkout. That's an additional 15% off at fastgrowingtrees.com. Use the code CROOKED at checkout. Fastgrowingtrees.com, code CROOKED. Offer is valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. Everything is changing so fast. I mean, back in my day, we were lucky if we could get one video to load. But now with the Xfinity 10G network, you can power a house full of devices at once with ultra-low lag. The future starts now. Restrictions apply. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed. So uh, one of the things you've said since leaving office is it's your job to kind of step back and allow a new generation of leaders to emerge. Yep. Did you intend on that to be the silent generation? <laughs> <laughs> all right so you were just saving that joke basically yeah it's hyped up <laughs> no the real the real the, the, real, the, real, question. the real question is you know yes. when, when we talked a couple of years ago you, you you pointed to uh uh young people that you were excited yeah. about are there are there are there young leaders that are in, inspiring to you exciting to you that you're seeing yeah look i you know one of the things i want to emphasize in this midterm is the importance of looking not just at the top of the ballot but all the way down the bottom because uh, there are 
governor's races, secretary of state's races, uh, state legislative races that are going to really matter. Um, you know, when we talk about how are we going to preserve democracy, particularly at a time when the current Supreme Court, um, to, to put it charitably, does not seem as invested in uh, uh, in in overseeing and 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 uh, uh, stopping monkey business at the local level, uh, it becomes that much more important for us to to make sure that we've got quality candidates and we're supporting them and we're turning out for them at every level, uh, because it it may turn out that in a close presidential election at some point, you know, certification of uh, an election uh, in a key swing state may be at issue. And, and it's going to be really important that we have people there who, who play it straight. Uh, so, uh, so I've, I've seen a lot of talent that, you know, we, there's a gap between the talent that's coming up. A lot of them are 40 and under. And then we have our, our national leadership that over 40 is over 40 (laughs) and, and I, I, you know, and I, and I, you know, why that gap exists, you know, uh, we can speculate, but the good news is I think there are uh, a lot of talented uh, members of Congress, uh, young people. And I don't want to, the problem is if I start naming somebody, then, you know, wow, you left me out. (laughs) (laughs) So, so, so I don't want to do that, but, but if you look at, uh, the talent that's in uh, in Congress right now, uh, young, dynamic uh, folks who are willing to shake things up, uh, it's really impressive. And and you know it's going it's just going to be a matter of them continuing on the path they're on and then making that leap uh, where they start getting national attention. I think it's a little harder now uh, to break out nationally than it was even when I was running, right? I mean, I give one keynote address and suddenly I'm, I'm pretty well known nationally. Um, I'm not sure, and obviously the last one was during COVID, so it, 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 we may not have tested this proposition yet, but whether with the splintering of the media, that's still possible, right? And, uh, and so, you know, one of the things that I'm hoping to do over the next uh, several years is in between elections, maybe bring together some of this talent and, and see how I can lift them up and support them. Um, uh, and, and, you know, because turns out I still have like a lot of Twitter followers. And that's more than power. some people, yeah. although I don't really talk about it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> why, why do you think Gen X didn't run? Do you think it was grunge? <laughs> what do you think happened? They just they just set the whole thing out. It's weird. It's a little weird. It's a little weird. <laughs> there you go. All right, you done? Yeah, I'm done. <laughs> yeah. So I was tr- supposed to keep it loose. You're, do- you're doing a great job. Yeah, Thank you. Right. I feel loose. Um, you wanted the Supreme Court, yeah. and in part for the very reasons you say, the Supreme Court is now held at its lowest esteem in history. Polls show that the tremendous distrust. Voters say it's rigged. It's political. It doesn't represent the majority. Are you open to some reforms to try to address 
that challenge? Is something we can do about that? Because we're kind of stuck with this Supreme Court for a while. I'm open to it. Um, I I think it has to be thought through. One one of the arguments we made at the time when McConnell decided that to invent a a new principle that he then breached later uh, about (laughs) uh, Merrick Garland and and why the guy wouldn't even get a a hearing or a vote um, is that if you start playing such explicit political games in the appointment process, it's hard for people not to feel as if this is just an extension of day-to-day congressional politics uh, as opposed to uh, the Supreme Court stands above to some degree those politics. And, And I think winning back that trust is going to take some time. And, I, and I'm not sure it's even going to be solved unless we solve some of the underlying polarization that, um, that we've been talking about uh, earlier. Um, I know I've been talking for a long time about f- the fever breaking <laughs> in the Republican Party. <laughs> it's, right? a, uh, it's on the bingo card. Yeah, it's, it's, it's long and, polarization. <laughs> it's long. <laughs> that was good. I like that. That was uh, good. <laughs> and, uh, um, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm under no illusions uh, that uh, some of those things are going to be fixed anytime soon. But I do think that if we reform the Supreme Court uh, simply by uh, figuring out ways to get more Democrats on there and stack it up, um, then it's not going to solve the legitimacy problem in the Supreme Court. It's just that we'll win more cases for a while, Um, which as a partisan, as somebody who thinks there's a right way to think about uh, women's reproductive health, that there's a better way to think about uh, you know, equality uh, for, for uh, you know, the LGBTQ plus community. You know, it would be, I, I would much prefer us winning five to four than losing six to three. Um, but what I'd, I'd like even more is for us to find ways in which we can get to a point where, um, that, that where justices bring their own perspective to bear, but are willing to actually look at precedent and look at how society is moving and, are making judgments uh, not b- based on uh, a bunch of uh, rigid ideological criteria, right? Um, the last point I'd make on this, and and this was actually weirdly in my, you know, law school uh, paper that that recently got uh, you got to publish made, that thing. No, I will not. <laughs> money in the banker, <laughs> but. Um, I, I, I do think that it's important for progressives not to count too much on the courts. One of the problems with Roe was that 
it did make, I think, a lot of voters complacent, figuring, eh, do I really have to trudge over and vote in some obscure midterm election? Because I know that the Supreme Court is protecting me uh, when it comes to my right to choose, right? And and I think that we, we have to be mindful that even if we have a independent, thoughtful Supreme Court that's not entirely ideologically driven, it's still part of our democracy. It's still reflective of our politics. You, know, uh, you, you have to still do the work on the ground of changing people's hearts and minds and attitudes about issues because the court generally follows societal trends more than it leads. It's very rare where the court gets ahead of society in a significant way. It typically reacts and responds. And more often when it's gotten ahead, by the way, it's done bad things rather than good things. Um, Brown versus Board of Education, Roe versus Wade, maybe two exceptions. Um, but even after those decisions, right, it's not as if the issue was settled and politics went away, as we've just learned, right? So th th there's no shortcuts here. Uh, we have to work. We have to get out. We have to vote. We have to be engaged in conversations. We have to reach into places uh, where the majority of people don't agree with us on these issues, and we have to make a case. Um, you know that that work never stops. And and um, you know the thing I worry most about during these midterms, and this happened throughout my presidency and pretty much every. Democratic presidency is that we, our Democratic voters get real hyped up around presidential races. And we lose interest a lot of times during midterms. And then we're puzzled as to, well, why isn't more stuff happening? You know? And then we use the fact that more stuff isn't happening as an excuse to not vote again in the midterms. And, and, and look, I, anybody who's listening to your podcast, I'm preaching to the choir, I assuming, but, um, for, for those of you who are listening and have friends whose attitude is, you know, I'm so progressive that I don't bother voting because, you know, uh, it's all just a neoliberal, you know, plot. Um, keep in mind that let's say the climate provisions in, um, you know, the big Biden administration bill. Um, they're not going to solve climate uh, problems. The temperatures are still going up. The planet's still warming. But, you know, it makes a big difference whether the planet goes up 2% or 3% or 4%. That might be billions of people who are displaced or not displaced. That, that, that might mean entire cities that are flooded or not and, and you know, may make a huge difference in terms of um, uh, you know, our, our capacity to manage these changes that are taking place. So if you vote and we've made it more likely that 
temperatures rise 2.2% rather than 3%, that's got to be worth 15 minutes of your time. Seems like a good thing. Right? Yeah. I, it, good it, 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 it has to be. You know, the, the, the same is true when it comes to issues like racial justice. Is your vote going to eliminate racism or problems between police and communities of color across the country? Probably not. But you know what? It could mean a different DA someplace. It could mean the difference in terms of making an investment in um, diversion programs that that uh, give kids a chance and, and, and don't simply lock them up for 20 years. And that, that, that's got to be worth 15 minutes of your time. And, and then you can continue to work uh, for a bro- you know, the broader vision that, that, uh, that you're looking for. Um, but but I, I, you know, I do get frustrated with um, an attitude that I'm too cool to vote. That you that you see floating around um, the internet a lot uh, among folks who purport to be progressive, and and uh, I can't wrap my head around that argument because it's not as if these folks who are you know um, on social media making this argument are out leading the revolution, right? <laughs> They're not. They're on social media. <laughs> They're not knocking on doors. They're not knocking on doors. Well, but you know, they, they, you know, um, they are not uh, offering a plausible alternative course of action. This is the game we have. This is the power we have, and it turns out that that power is pretty significant. Will it? get us all the way to the promised land? No, but that's, you know, how things get better. And, you know, not to, not to repeat myself, but better is good. Better is good. (laughs) How, um, has the current political crisis that we're in changed the way you are thinking about your post-presidential role in public life? It, it, It certainly changed the first four years. Right, where I was probably more active politically than I would have anticipated. Uh, you know, I mean, there, there's there's a little bit of I, I admire the you know Cincinnatus, you know George Washington going off. You know, uh, I'm a private citizen now. Kind of vibe. I always use the Cincinnatus reference as well. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, thank you. The, You're uh, constantly talking about that guy. Um, <laughs> But but I thought that the, that the stakes were high enough uh, during the four years that that uh, my successor was in office that um, that I, I, I was more vocal and still tried to pick and choose my spots, but was more engaged and involved. Obviously, with Joe Biden in, in the White House now, um, I've been trying to uh, refocus my attention on this. Uh, what had always been my original intention, which is to focus on developing the next generation of leaders through the work we're doing at the foundation. Um, the, the one thing that uh, probably I'm more attuned to now is um, trying to make sure that 
as we're working with young leaders uh, through the foundation that we're maybe a little more explicit about the democratic values that are at stake. And uh, I'm becoming more interested in working with folks, partnering with organizations that are experimenting with ways in which we can strengthen uh, our democratic muscles, right? So um, issues like misinformation and, and how do we create a, a, a social media environment that in which facts and reason and logic uh, at least uh, have a shot um, and, 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 and go beyond sort of um, the, the, the sixty percent of the country that already occupies that space and and is able to reach the forty percent who consume most of their news uh, uh, through Fox or or you know uh, whatever the latest uh, you know radio host is or podcaster is um, on on the right uh, because I know those folks. I, I you know I, you look at a place like Iowa, right? And, and what's changed there? It's the same people, right? It's, it's, it's not fundamentally different. They, they're just getting a bunch of different information. And so the filter is so thick that if I were to go back into the exact same communities, it'd be a lot harder to, to get a hearing, right? And so, so how media works, uh, I'm, I'm spending a lot of time thinking about uh, what are the tools we can, we can uh, develop to, to, to crack that code. Um, I, I think part of what we talked about earlier, you know, how do we think about pluralism and um, culture in a smarter way so that we preserve the gains and continue advance uh, the, 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 oh, that we continue to, who is, whose phone is that? Um, <laughs> okay. I'll bet it's, Love it. It's a, um, fine. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> the uh, but uh, but but you know you know how how, how can we train folks y- young leaders to to be able to to champion uh, the rights of of you know racial minorities and and people of, of different sexual orientations and and women, uh, but but have a language that is inclusive and and makes people feel as if um, uh, that, that we're assuming the best in them and not the worst, right? That becomes interesting to me. Um, so, so I think I'm spending more time thinking about the building blocks of democracy and where we, we've seen it break down, you know, where have been the, 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 the cracks in the foundation that, that need to be shored up. Uh, and are there, are there ways in which I can be helpful in, in, uh, in those up? And, and that's just to bring poor Tommy back into the conversation. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, there is, you know, that, 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 that's where I do think, um, uh, there, there is a through line between what's happening here in the United States and, and, uh, countries around the world. I mean, you, you look at what's happening in Europe 
You look at the Italian election. You yep. look at the recent French election. You look at you know these far right parties that are popping up in Scandinavia, Sweden, right? Victor Orban. Yeah, I, right. And 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 obviously Hungary's. Uh, you know, we've seen over the last several years. Um, in all these places, right? What what you're seeing is that. Um, if you define democracy just as elections, that's not enough. That, that there's, that's, there's an infrastructure that has to be built uh, and a set of values that have to be transmitted. And that how we thought about globalization and trade and immigration and all that stuff, that how not in some cases the actual policies, but certainly how we communicated that to um, uh, voters I I throughout um, some of the wealthiest countries in the world um, didn't work, didn't connect, right? And, and you see this rise of strongman politics that is dangerous. Um, and it's, it's, it's not very different than what we've seen happening here uh, through the Republican Party. So. So I, you know, rather than just what elections can do and the reason, again, that I'm on with you, Jim Oaks, uh, <laughs> is you got an election coming up and you got to vote. And, and so that's the immediate short-term response to these threats is you have to, you know, get people in there who, who believe in the basic precepts of democracy and care about uh, working people. But over the long term, there are some of these structural issues that um, we we have not addressed. And they're still a problem. Uh, and and, and uh, so, you know, to the extent that uh, that I can be useful on that front, that, that's what I care about. I think you can be useful on that front. Maybe. Uh, President Obama, thank you so much for uh, sitting down with us. This was good fun, guys. This is great. You yeah. know, I appreciate it. And, uh, you know, you should invite me on more often please um, open invitation if you want to brainstorm this media stuff we could get a zoom going just chat no i'm not going to do that all right, that's funny. That's funny. <laughs> all right guys it was great to see you, see you. See you right, too. Bye. perfect <laughs>《Pod Save America is a Crooked Media production. The executive producer is Michael Martinez. Our senior producer is Andy Gardner-Bernstein. Our producers are Haley Muse and Olivia Martinez. It's mixed and edited by Andrew Chadwick. Kyle Seglin and Charlotte Landis sound engineered the show. Thanks to Hallie Kiefer, Ari Schwartz, Sandy Gerard, Andy Taft, and Justine Howe for production support. And to our digital team, Elijah Cohn, Phoebe Bradford, Milo Kim, and Amelia Montu. Our episodes are uploaded as videos at youtube.com slash podsaveamerica. As a chef and a restaurant owner, I'm as meticulous about my cookware as I am about my ingredients. That's why I love Made In Cookware. Each pan they make isn't just designed to perform, it's crafted to last. As a mom, I love that I can trust Made In. It's made from the world's finest materials, so I can feel good about what I'm feeding my family. I'm Chef Brooke Williamson, and I use Made In Cookware. Shop chef-quality pots and pans at madeincookware.com.
Everything's changing so fast these days, and that's a great thing. I mean, back in my day, we were lucky if we could get one video to load on our desktop computer. But now, there's the Xfinity 10G network. That means the fastest internet, with faster speeds rolling out every day. And internet that can power a house full of devices at once with ultra-low lag. So, while one person streams a movie from their room, another can play video games in the basement, while another TikToks in the kitchen. It's the next-generation 10G network, only from Xfinity. The future starts now. Restrictions apply. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed.